Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marlowe. I am Tom O'Kara. It is a very special edition of the STS Podcast because we have It Just Meant More. But not just any It Just Meant More. We did an entire season. 2014 season. 1969. Nice. Um, we did an entire year because, as as you brought up last week, this year was just nuts. It was freaking it was nuts. nuts. So I'm going to say we're going to miss some stuff today, and I don't want people yeah. to be offended. There's only so much that you can get to within, I don't know how long we're going to go for this, hour, 20, hour, half, whatever. However long we go on the subject of the 2014 season, there are so many different things that it is inevitable that we are not going to get to this crazy play, that crazy play. Right. If there's stuff that we miss... Post it in the Facebook group. Tweet yeah. at us, whatever. Don't get mad at us. We're not trying to forget any any specific team. But there was just so much going on. Going through all all the stuff that happened this year, you're 100% right that we were wise to, that, that per your suggestion, that doing this entire year instead of just one game or one specific moment, although we did a game last week, but that's beside the point. I like this idea. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. It was like just going back through it. It was it was wild to kind of look through, and, and I remember that season. But we we always talk about two thousand seven, how crazy two thousand seven was, and and it was a crazy year. But it's that two thousand fourteen season. It, I think at the end of the year, it didn't feel that crazy. But I tell you what, man, we'll just we'll get kicked off right now, right off the bat. You tell me another year where the team that wins it all is the four seed. That comes. I mean, I know it's a it's a like a national brand in Ohio State. But you tell me a year when the the four seed wins the the uh, what do you call it? Um, college football playoff. First year college, of college football playoff. playoff. Now, well, now that I'm saying it, it's going to sound stupid, but I was going to say with a backup quarterback. Then I forgot that mm. 2007. Well, third happened. string, but third string. But it was a third string quarterback that came in, and and really no one thought. I remember I remember thinking like, okay, good. Ohio State's not getting in because now Braxton Miller's out. Now also, what's his name's out? J, uh, JT, JT Barrett. Barrett. JC Barrett and I was like, so they're not going to be in. I wonder who's going to get in, and and I, and I remember it being one of those years too where you could just it was total chaos because I remember being so a hundred percent matter of fact when I said it doesn't even matter that such and such team is out because this team is going to win it all, and I couldn't have been more wrong. And it wasn't Bama. It wasn't Bama. The interesting thing is that this year was so crazy, but it did not even yield a year in which the SEC was represented in the national championship. And that's kind of why I think we had the craziness that we did, where six SEC teams finished in the top 25, four from the West, all of them finished with seven-plus wins. At different points in this season, nine of 14 SEC teams were in the top 15. That is insane. And that set the stage for just two months of trying to figure out who in the world is good, who isn't. You had teams in November that seemingly were playing a playoff elimination game, as we outlined last week when we did the adjustment more for Ole Miss and Auburn. But those two teams kind of fell off the face of the earth down the stretch. The state of Mississippi was just in this golden year, and that was kind of partially why this seemed so rare and so unique because Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both having these unprecedented years. Ole Miss gets to number three in the AP poll. Right. The Katy Perry college game day thing, we're going to get to that. Trust me. Mississippi State starts the year unranked and is number one in the first ever playoff poll after three Crazy. straight top ten wins. I mean, just 
the year itself was just bonkers in so many ways. Three SEC West teams in the top four and four in the top six of the first playoff bowl, as we brought up last week as well. I wanted to go back and find all of the regular season SEC play games between two top 15 teams. Because there, there, was, was, there were nine. 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 Nine of them. Yeah. There was, it, it felt like every single week of conference play, we were getting some make-or-break showdown. And that was just kind of, you know, that was what you came to expect that year. Right. And even when, when Alabama loses early in the year like that, it kind of creates this panic of, oh, we think we can win the SEC. No, we think we can do it. And it opened it up for all of these different things to happen and for these high expectations to happen. Bama still won in the end and won the conference, spoiler but, alert. But the year that we got, one of the best. And I ever had so much fun looking back on this. It was great. So entertaining. It was so entertaining the entire year. And, and there was just so much stuff that went on. And it was, you know, you talk about you talk about how there was this, uh, you know, this, this, like, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. I think at one point all all six, I'm sorry, seven SEC West teams were ranked. They all finished. They all went to bowl games. Yes, six Arkansas the was the worst ranked. with with seven wins at the end of the year. Yeah, right. And 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 then you have you have I think like yeah you you end up having all seven go to bowl games and it was just like how deep and and what was weird though about this is when you start the season you start the season you have two teams that are ranked in the top you know. 10, which was, I think, just, just two teams. And I think it was, well, and Auburn. But you had Georgia and Bama, and both those teams ended up ranked in the top 10. But South was Carolina just, was, was ranked ninth to start the year as well. Oh, yeah, good point. So they ended up, I guess, yeah, just either way, though, it was it, 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 the way we finally got to the end of the season, just like it seemed like the beginning and end is almost what we expected. But everything in between was nuts. College game day went to six SEC campuses, <laughs> including their first ever trip to Starkville and first ever trip to Oxford, and they did that in back-to-back weeks. I forgot back-to-back about that. Back-to-back weeks. Yeah. That's amazing to think about, the state of, of Mississippi, Mississippi and all of the just the pandemonium, who could win a national championship, and, and everything that, that ultimately happened on the stretch for those teams. Let's start with the cast here, because the coaches, the only two coaches who were who we're going to discuss today um, that are still at their respective jobs, Gus and Saban. So Hugh Freeze and Gus we talked about last week. Don't want to necessarily dig into that as much. Saban right. kind of speaks for itself. But one of the coaches that we have to talk about because he played a part in the 2014 storyline wasn't a head coach, and he might have been the most talked about coach in the SEC this season, good old Lane Kiffin. Oh, yeah. First, first year as the Alabama OC – Saban takes a chance on him. It's this great experiment. And this dynamic of them on the sideline all year was great. You'd have oh Saban at points where he would just rip them a new one. And it was, I mean, the gifts now you can go find. Just just Google uh, Saban Kiffin GIF, and it, it's great. There's no shortage of them. The power struggle, though, it looked like it bothered Saban so much because it here, he was, did. here he was turning the offense over. To Kiffin, and he had to struggle with this kind of hands-off thing. But you know, there was this interesting press conference after the Florida game. So it was four right. weeks into the season, and it's amazing. Saban has this four-minute clip that's awesome. I mean, just incredible. He gets asked this question about changing the offense and how you know, like, how has it been giving control to Lane, all this stuff. And Saban says, "I've been begging OCs to open it up since I've been here." Yeah, and 
he even says, you know, we haven't arrived as an offense yet. And Saban actually knew what he was talking about because it was during a bye week that he said this, but the next game they played, they had the Ole Miss game that they lost 23-17. to But this dynamic that went on between them was great theater, and it was something that you wanted to watch even if Alabama was up, you know, 50-7. to Well, and some of the best moments happened when they were up by, like, late in the game. Like, that that's the first ass chewing that that's that Kiffin got was like that 38 to 3 mm-hmm. uh Western Kentucky game and, and so and you look I think it was that's what it was but but you so how all this got brought up too is just again great theater because the, the people a lot of people don't know this but I'll give you a background on it real quick and, and the only the only reason why Lane Kiffin was brought in so in that 2013 season when Bama loses in the kick six and and all that kind of stuff uh, what people don't know that happened in this game this is all very, very true and, and hysterically funny, in my opinion. Doug Nussmeyer is the OC, right? Doug Nussmeyer is a young OC. It's, I think it's his first OC job. He's replacing Jim McElwain, who'd been there you know, from like 2008, 2011, and, and done a great job at the time. And so he's, he's the OC, and he's, he goes into this, this mode in, in, the, in the second half of the Auburn game, which Bama was favored, obviously, in the kick six game. They're in Auburn. And... He, as one other coach put it, emotionally shut down. Like, he pulled a me. He pulled a me in the second half of this game and, and started, like, kind of childishly acting out at Saban. And Saban would call a play or Saban would say, dude, like, you know, like, hey, why aren't we doing this? And he's like, well, we're fine. If you want, think we should do that, then we should do this. <laughs> and he's like, and it's like this very sophomoric, childish response to Saban about why. And so he just kind of shuts down and goes away from the offensive game plan. So Saban's pissed. Nussmeyer's on his way out the door. He's going to Michigan. And so we, sorry, Alabama hires a, a analyst to come in, right? And this is when that whole analyst thing was very, very new. So he hires an analyst to come in. And I'm trying to read through the actual, okay, so I have it here. He comes in the week before the Sugar Bowl, or like the, the month before the Sugar Bowl, right? Bama's going to play Oklahoma, they get beat. And he, Kevin comes in, he watches tape, whatever, and he comes into the room and he just puts five numbers up on the board. Kiffin spent like, like a week in Tuscaloosa, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Right. And so, so they, they had their meeting, and Saban's sitting there talking to him. And it was all these rumors were flying around, like, you know, is he going to be the next OC, whatever. And, and that wasn't necessarily the plan at, up until that point, but he, they, they bring him as the offensive analyst, and he goes and just kind of points at every single number. And he's like, these are your playmakers. Get them the ball. And it was like DeAndre White, Amari Cooper, Derrick Henry, TJ Yeldon, and somebody else. And, and so that was it. That was the whole thing. It was like, hey, this is not as – this is more simple than you're making out to be. Just get these guys the ball. So they come out in like the next game. Derrick Henry goes off in the Sugar Bowl, and, and and you know obviously you have these other playmakers. So they bring in Lane Kiffin the next year, and like kind of like the rest of history. But that's the background as to how all that happened is because Nussmeier was still the OC in place, and people forget that offense was pretty good in 2013. It wasn't as good as it, it became, but yes, that that is how the whole thing you know came about. Kiffin back in the SEC was just great. Just great. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it in the same way. We're going to have, hopefully, if we have a 2020 season, we're going to be like, man, I miss Lane. I, I miss these interactions. We're already saying that with the way that he interacts on social media, but some of the stuff that maybe he'll do on the sideline, whatever, it's going to be great theater. You had other guys like, you know, Mullen at Mississippi State, obviously, Mark Rick at Georgia, Gary Pinkle at Mizzou. Coaches Pinkle, were yeah. really established at this point, too, and not these guys who have only been around for like two or three years, but... I mean, really established coach coaches, guys who have really put in a lot of work at their respective mm-hmm. programs. Pinkle is kind of the forgotten guy of this group. And Mizzou obviously goes on to win the division. They win the East. Right. And they overtake. For the second straight year. 
Yeah, second straight year, that 2013 team with Michael Sam, Defensive Player of the Year. and Shane they, Ray. Yeah, Shane, and Shane Ray really blew up in 2014, SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Have more on him later that we will get to for sure. He is one of the yeah. categories for this. Um, but Pinkle, you know, after they lost to Indiana and then they lost to Georgia, by the way, Tevin Coleman just ran for another 80 yards against Mizzou. God. That was incredible. That was um, tough to watch. Mizzou just bounces back after that game, and they went out to get to the SEC championship. Obviously, they lost to to Bama, but it's weird to think that Mizzou, after that number five finish, mm-hmm. started off the year number twenty four. I mean, picked really late. I, I think they were picked to finish fourth, actually. Yeah, picked f- finished fourth in the division because they lost James Franklin and Doriel Green Beckham. He was dismissed, and then you know Michael Sam, obviously too. So like. Mizzou was this team that everybody was kind of sleeping on, and Gary Pinkle kind of did his, like, you know, everybody's going to take us take us lightly. And the fact that he lost those two games early and got them out of, you know, playoff contention, of course people were going to be sleeping on Mizzou. Right. But they were the team that kind of kept, kept quiet throughout this whole year of craziness and was able to make it to a conference championship. Yeah, and it was weird. It was interesting, too, because... Like you, you say, like they just that was a that 2013 team was very, very, very good. Loaded. I mean, very good, and and they were loaded. James Franklin was, by all means, he was a better quarterback. I'm sure that Adam Spencer isn't going to like this, but he was a better quarterback than Drew Locke. He was outside mm. of outside of of Chase Daniel. I think he was the best. He was the best quarterback for what they ran in that system that Mizzou has ever had. Like for what they ran. I mean, I understand Brad Smith also put up like electric numbers and all that kind of stuff. For what they ran in that system, he was perfect. He was perfect. So good. So they come back in the next season, and they're, they're preseason fourth in the division. That's not a surprise. Like, Mizzou, people, for whatever reason, people always want to crap on Mizzou. I went to, my best friend went to the 2013 SEC Championship game. We both went to the 2014 SEC Championship game. I can tell you watching those teams firsthand and, and have gone to several of those teams' uh, games a year, it's a very well-coached, very talented football team, but nobody wanted to give them credit going into that year or the year before. True. Finishing number five in the country, though, and then being picked to finish yeah. fourth in division a year later. Well, and what people forget about, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Mizzou fans a shout out here, but people forget about this and, and don't ever bring it up is that 2012 season, their first season in in the SEC. Well, they were pitted against A and M because A and M's the other new team. A and M goes off on this run where I say I said this last week, no other team would have won. A and M would have won the national championship at the end of the 2012 season. Mm-hmm. A&M, would have, they were the best team in the country. There's no other team that was going to beat them. Bama wouldn't have beat them again. That Bama already lost to them. Notre Dame wouldn't have. Georgia wouldn't have. And that's a question for another time, too, is how many t- teams from the SEC would have beaten Notre Dame that year. But mm-hmm. but they were kind of pitted against them, and they had this terrible 4-8 and eight season. But people forget, they lost their entire starting five offensive linemen. They actually lost their top six offensive linemen from that team before the season started. So Mizzou is, has just entered into this whole, they're the furthest team away from, from the SEC, from like what people consider like the Southeast. Mm-hmm. And they're also, they're just, they're just kind of fighting an uphill battle from, from get-go. Anyway. Yeah, lost their toppers three receivers too, I believe. And obviously yeah. making the quarterback change, Matty Mock, also going to get to him later, I promise. Mm-hmm. For now, let's, let's talk about the A-listers. There's a ton. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to, Forget certain guys. Do not take it as an injustice. Yeah. I mean, we talked about Laquan Treadwell a lot last week. There's also Vernon Hargraves, Dante Fowler, Jonathan Allen. There's a lot of other people. Amari Cooper takes off in Lane's offense this year. He and Blake Sims were just on such a similar rhythm. I mean, it was it's fun to watch if you go back and watch Amari in 2014 
ultimately becomes what I think was the SEC's best receiver of the decade. And really a lot, you know, a lot of it was because of what he did this specific year, where if you remember, you know, he struggled in that sophomore season and, you know, part of it, maybe the offense, but whatever, whatever he needed, um, he, he got with Lane and the, the relationship he had with Blake Sims, of course. Somebody else from that loaded 2012 class. Let's have a little fun. Good old Landon Collins. The yeah, he was an A-lister from that team. The Alabama safety, who has one of the all-time great recruit uh, commitment videos, where if you don't want to go over to YouTube right now and spend two and a half minutes, you should, but I'll just tell you how it all went down. So, you know, from New Orleans, he's between LSU and Alabama. Um, our guy Dari was actually the one interviewing him. Uh, ironically enough, I forgot I'll never forget about this. that. I was watching this live at Houston's. <laughs> and he makes his announcement during the Under Armour All America game, and he he picks Alabama, and then his mom is still in the same shot, and she shakes her head, <laughs> and then Dari, God bless Dari, and I texted him about this. I'm like, you are such a brave soul for asking his mom yeah. this question. And uh, she says, I feel LSU is a better place for him to well, be. Well, I'm not. Mm, well, mm, <laughs> LSU mm. Tigers, number one. Go Tigers. <laughs> you, so you know how you know how a lot of people that listen to this podcast are in their in their cars or in their, you know, at home or at, at work, and they hear me say something they disagree with? Like it's something egregious in their mind that they, that they disagree with. That reaction that you guys have, that like innate knee-jerk reaction – Imagine having that, but on national television in front of the world with your son. Like as he just got this, first, like I mean, come on, it was it was so funny. And I don't, I mean, she she doubled down on it this week. Yeah, Didn't because she? Landon, yeah, yeah, Landon came out. He was doing a he was doing a Twitter Q and A, and he came out and he said best college achievement was beating LSU all three years. And his right. mom like dunked on him or tried to dunk on him. I mean. I think it worked out okay for for Landon, like you know, became an All American and you know doing doing pretty well in the NFL. But goodness gracious, but that's, that was that's definitely oof. one of the A listers. I would say the the one for me, and, and I remember writing an article when I first started doing this, um, that I I wrote about my my favorite player from the conference that year that wasn't a Bama player, not Amari Cooper, Todd Gurley, the yes. season he had, it was so bizarre. And it was, it was like, this Georgia team was one of the greater unknowns, I feel like, from that, from that time because of the things that happened with their best player. Yes, and Gurley, I was going to get to him in a minute. I wanted to talk about right. Dak for, okay. for a sec, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah. get to, we'll get to Gurley in a second here because it's going to transition then into how, you know, breakout performers and all that of the yeah. 2014 season, which there were a ton of. But real quick on Dak. Dak became an A-lister. You could probably have him as a breakout performer if you want to. Either way, he became a major A-lister, eighth in the Heisman this year, and was obviously at the helm of Mississippi State's rise to number one, this incredible rise that they had in the first two months of the season. Best Dak moment of 2014. Can probably go a lot of different ways with this. That LSU game, though, special. Good God. Hadn't beat him there since 1988. 14 straight losses they had to LSU. I mean, the the 56-yard touchdown run, amazing. Amazing. Right Just, through the heart of Dixie. Uh, to do that, you know, Louisiana native, to do that yeah. night game in, in Death Valley, just uh, the the type of moment that you're like, all right, that that guy, that is special. That's the type of game that if you're a Mississippi State, that's what elevates your program and gets people to think about you in a different light. But Dak right. was so, so good that year. 
Yeah, and, and so what people forget about that too is that game, if you just look at it like a, you know, on the surface, I think they ended up winning 34-29. I'm not, it's not in front of me, but I'm just Something assuming like that. that's what it was. But they were up like 34-14. to 14 Yeah, no, it's came back. And, and Brandon Jacobs, I think, not Brandon Jacobs, Brandon Harris is the one that actually somewhat brought him back. But, you know, it, it was a very odd, uh, you know, almost start to the year because that that is one of those that you look at where, and I told you this before, where... You just chalk that one up as a win. Like that that's that's you know, in the same way, I think it might have been the following week or the week after that Bama Ole Miss game. And we'll talk about it here mm. shortly, but you just chalk that up as a win. And for several reasons that we'll get into later, but all of a sudden they're not they're not only not a win, but they're like, Oh, you see this almost like what you think is gonna be a changing of the guard because I mean the Dak Prescott thing, the reason why you said like it's it's hard to pick one of those moments. They went and beat three straight top five teams. Was it was it top ten or top five? Maybe it was top ten. I don't know. I think it was. I thought it was top. Let 10. me remember. Anyways, that that though was the reason that yeah. they deserve to be number one in the country to go from unranked. We talked about this. We've talked about this in the past with how difficult it was for 2004 Auburn to overcome that and to, to keep climbing and how difficult it is to really show, hey, you're the best team in the country. Mississippi State did everything you you would tell an unranked team to do that starts off the year like that. Hey, go out and just beat three top ten teams in right. a row and, and have these games that everybody's, you know, just assuming, all right, you're going to fall apart, you're going to lose, and right. that's how you're really going to change that. And there's a reason that we talk about this six years after the fact and how special that rise was with that Mississippi State team because it sort of perf- personified the unpredictability that was the SEC this year. Yeah. Speaking of unpredictable things, who could have predicted the junior year that Todd Gurley had in Athens? Just a bummer on a variety of fronts. The getting suspended for the autographs, three thousand dollars that he was paid. So they, stupid. They only investigated that for two days. Two days. <sighs> he he was at the time, in my opinion, the best player in the conference, and I don't think it was even that close. I understand how great Amari was, and I understand like looking back on mm. how great of a year Amari had. But the things that Todd Gurley was able to do, I'm pretty sure in his first game back, or maybe it was the first touch he had of the season, he has that that you know kickoff return for a touchdown against Clemson. And it was like, this guy was able to impact the game in so many different ways, and he was also so damn good that, you know, it, it, it was, God, what, it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous that that actually happened to him. The, and also, when he came back from the suspension, the, the four-game suspension, he has that, uh, the, it wasn't the opening kick, but it was the first time that Georgia touched the ball. And yeah. Sanford Stadium is just going nuts. Like, they are nuts. on their feet, ready to go. And Gurley returns the kick back for a touchdown, but it gets mm-hmm. called back because of holding. And that night, he was awesome. He was great. He had, like, 29 carries for, like, 140 yards. I can't remember how many yards he had, but he was insane. And then, of course, in, like, typical Todd Gurley fashion, the way that, you know, it's just like you get excited, and then this happens. Towards ACL that night against Auburn. Right. And you're like, oh, well, his college career is over. And it was such an anticlimactic ending to one of the great, I, I thought one of the great careers of an SEC skill player in the 21st century. He is that was, fair to say? We brought this up on the first one we ever did. And I said this back 2012 then. The 2012 SEC Championship. The 2012 yeah. SEC Championship game. He, he was arguably even in that game. And I understand the catch that Amari had late. And I understand the catch he had in the first half. And I get that. And But even as a Bama fan, I can tell you right now, Todd Gurley was the best player on the field that day. And it, it like it was close, sure. But with Amari, Todd Gurley was the best player on the field that day. As a true freshman. 
It's amazing. As a true freshman. It's it's a bummer to think that we fired up got, already. Here we go. We only got thirty college games with Todd Gurley. <laughs> that bums me out. That's that really does. Yes, man. Oh, that sucks. Thanks but a lot, NCAA. The benefits of Gurley's um, the, the upside, I say, the the silver lining of Gurley's suspension. The breakout performer, no right. bigger breakout performer in the SEC than Nick Chubb. The yes. emergence that he had while Gurley was gone, where all of a sudden he starts getting the ball. And even in this, if you go back and watch that Auburn game, where Gurley had a really, really good day, they could not tackle Nick Chubb. I mean, no, not before, at all. Before he got hurt in 2015, man, it was it was so, so special. Nobody could bring him down at all. 1,760 yards from scrimmage that year. And it's... There's these freshman seasons that we got to see from running backs in the SEC in the 2010s where you could look at Gurley, you could look at Marcus Lattimore, you could look at Nick Chubb. We we felt like, wow, we're about to see... Were were there comps to... I mean, were there the Herschel comps back then? I don't want to throw that out there. But when you see a player do what he's doing as a true freshman, you can't help but just... Like, think of all the historical things that could happen. There's there's always going to be Herschel comps from a freshman running back like that, I think, especially in the SEC or even with, uh, um, in, in like, at Georgia especially. But what I will say is th- there was – he. I, I want to say it was that same game. It was the same game that he had against uh, – that Gurley went off um, – because it was against Clemson, I want to say, where he had that 54-yard touchdown run on the sideline where he just broke a bunch of tackles and then outran everybody. And you're like, wait, what? They got another one? I mean, it didn't seem fair to, to think of that backfield at that time with, oh, by the way, five-star freshman Sony Michelle, who turned out right. to be pretty good too. That backfield, I wanted to see more of them and that trio and what they could have done that year. It's 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 frustrating to think about never really kind of getting them all at once, you know, for, for an entire year because for, yeah, yeah Gurley would have gotten a ton of carries still. He still would have had the lion's share of the carries, but could have been even more special. Now it's just an all-time great picture to look back on. Derrick Henry, um, breakout performer in this year. Obviously, everybody knew who he was. You know, former five-star recruit as well. But the dynamic at play here and the the balance that Kiffin had to deal with, where you have a first-team All-SEC running back in TJ Yeldon coming back in that 2014 season. Yeah, and I imagine that was really difficult for Kiffin to figure out. I know I have a star in Derrick Henry, and him feeding Derrick Henry in 2015 was one of the reasons that he was able to win the Heisman and recognizing that and shifting the offense. But you had a carry split of 194 to 172, which way closer than if you would have told the average Bama fan going into that season that, oh, by the way, we're going to have pretty much a backfield by committee. Would they have accepted that, or am I crazy to think like, oh, you know, Yeldon probably was, was frustrated not to be getting more work? It was interesting. Well, Yeldon was a second, his second round draft pick. Yeah, which, which is really good. Which is really odd to think about because I mean, like most second round draft picks are going to be, yeah, they're going to be getting like a lion's share of the carries. But when you have, again, I think it goes back to that meeting. That's one of the reasons I brought it up was when he just puts those numbers up on the board and he's like, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, get them the ball. It's as simple as that, and that's what they ended up doing uh, in the long run, which was just trying to commit to getting them the ball. And so it made sense looking back on it, I think, why why that happened. Not so much at the time, maybe. Does that okay. make sense? You know? Fair, fair. Um, the other um, breakout performance, we talked about Cameron Artis Payne last week, the Auburn running back who led the conference um, and, and was the first team all-SEC running back that year um, along with Nick Chubb. Evan Ingram talked about him last week. Blake Sims. Guy takes over for A.J. McCarron. 
and ends up being this just tremendous proof of concept for Kiffin and his offense and what he's able right. to do, where he takes a former running back. And right. I, correct me if I'm wrong here. I know Bama started off number two in the country. Expectations relatively low with Blake Sims, at quarterback, taking over for A.J. McCarron. I will tell you right now, there were people, and this is a lot has to do with the fact that it's old Southern Bama fans that are dumb in general. And the fact that you see what people don't remember here is Jake Coker was transferring from, from Florida, Florida State, State this yep. season. And I remember I remember watching that season. I assume Blake I assume Jake Coker was gonna win that job. That is he he like did he he was like a four star quarterback out of high school. Blake Sims now, now keep in mind people forget this about Blake Sims. Michael Vick said he was the next Michael Vick. When he was coming out of high school, out of Gainesville High School. I mean, he wasn't. But, I mean, he was saying <laughs> it was a nice thing to say. But, so, Jacob Coker was a four-star recruit out of high school that ended up going to Florida State and then transferred out because he wouldn't get playing time. That season going into uh, going into the year, that July, or maybe it was August even, Brett McMurphy said on College Football Live, just like on a daily show, is like, give us a, a bold prediction. He said, Jacob Coker is going to win the Heisman. <laughs> that's a real thing that happened. And it was like, ah, and it to be fair, it was like the bold prediction had to be about one of these teams. It wasn't, he wasn't just saying in general, I don't think. He was like, Jacob Coker, he had never, t- he, he ended up redshirting that season. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so Blake Sims, this is, this is, and we'll get to one of our, one of our listeners brought up earlier, why this is my favorite, like Alabama team that they've ever had under Saban is, this is for like the one year they were against all odds. It seemed like yeah, Blake Sims was not the guy that was going to lead you to the promised land, and and it was it was awesome to watch because he 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 at the at the time he had put up better numbers than any other quarterback in the history of Alabama football and put up even better numbers than AJ McCarron had. Granted, it was a different offense, but still like people were not ready for that. And watching him, Blake Sims that year, you, you just kind of developed a little bit of an appreciation for him and what he was what he was able to do and. And the fact that he held off Jake Coker for the entire year and didn't didn't relinquish that that starting job when you know there was so much pressure on him going right. into that year. The SEC Defensive Player of the Year, Shane Ray. Wow. Monster, monster year. Um, he actually got ejected for targeting uh, Blake Sims in the SEC Championship. You will forget that. Um, just, on a touchdown. Yeah. Another one yeah. of these great Mizzou like front seven guys who, you know, Coach Cool, who he's at Toledo now, by the way. Is little he? Coach Cool. Uh, yeah, follows me on Twitter. Very nice of him. Um, random though. <laughs> like he, he was. I remember we talked about that a lot when he went to he yeah. went to Bama, and I was like, oh, they just got this this big secret, you know, this this defensive line guru. Maybe he was a little bit past his prime. I don't know, but he spent a year away from coaching. I think. Anyways, I I almost put when we did that thing the SC roundtable and was talking about the best uh, the best position groups. I I had a hard time not not at least giving like a mention to uh, Mizzou DL. Yeah, I mean Shane Ray was was one of these guys who, you know, just absolutely takes off this year, and you know everybody kind of remembers what happened. Basically, it kind of all went downhill for him after the he gets ejected for targeting in the SEC championship because then he had he had turf toe in the, right. the Citrus Bowl against Minnesota. Um, two days before the NFL draft, he gets busted for weed and he falls. He was supposed to be a top ten guy, and he was one of those. Yeah, that mask like, on. He did not have the mask on, lucky for him. But he still, I mean, it felt a little bit Laramie Tunsil-like before yeah. that time, I realized. But still, Shane Ray was awesome that year. And it's well, we're going to discuss him more later with a different, not-so-flattering sure. category. Miles Garrett, um, number two recruit in the country, depending on where he looked. I looked at the 24-7 sports composite. Yeah, that's fair. Broke Jadavian Clowney's freshman sacks record in the SEC. Second in the SEC with 11 and a half sacks. 
really, really good football player who, um, yeah, things worked out for him. I think we can say yeah. that number one overall pick. <laughs> uh, the other one, if if he if Garrett wasn't number one, it was because Leonard Fournette was number one. Right. Um, he was very much highly touted, obviously coming in to, to LSU as a true freshman. And you go back and you read some of the comments from Les Miles where he's just like, like, like chill. Let's let's let this guy yeah. have his moment. And Undeveloped. he. He did not have the freshman season that that Nick Chubb did, and I think people were kind of waiting for that. Had a thousand yard season, but it was more of in flashes. Like he would go off against Florida and Ole Miss, but then he would have quieter games, obviously against Bama as well. But you know, this star power that came into the SEC, where I think eight of the top eleven recruits in the country in the twenty four seven Sports composite in this twenty fourteen class, right, went to the SEC, and so many of them were playing right away. Right, and on top of the the, the talent they already had in place in like the SEC. Like that were there. Like you talk about the girlies, you talk about the other guys that end up becoming these, you know, first round draft picks. It was it was ridiculous. The prominent extras. Let's start at the place that you know we, we just have to. I'm talking about Matt Luke. Jesus. <laughs> I. <laughs> you want Matt Luke? You want Matt Luke? Um, yeah. We don't well, have to go into that. We, we don't yeah, have to go into that. That's fine. <laughs> I just wanted to include it here. You want Matt yes. Luke? Uh, That's good. Ju- Jamal Adams, uh, another prominent extra, uh, true freshman, another one of these highly touted guys. Um, he he did have the the moment where he got headbutted by Bo Wallace, yeah. as we talked about last week after that horrendous INT that he threw. Five star freshman, but relatively quiet, you know, compared to some of the other bigger names. And you know, obviously, you know, he had a, a tremendous career at LSU. But uh, another prominent extra, true freshman, Will Greer, Florida mm-hmm. quarterback. Good old, good old Will Muschamp. He started Jeff Driscoll and Treon Harris ahead of Will Greer, and it was like, you know what? We're gonna bench this Greer kid. Um, uh, only a true freshman, but just another reminder of why Will Muschamp can never seem to find a quarterback. Because even when they're under his own nose, he's like, eh, we're we're not gonna let you play. We're, we're not gonna do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I just this I just. I don't even know what to say about this because it was so comical watching this happen because you're like, hold on. You saw the talent. You saw the talent in this kid, right? And you didn't see it in Treon Harris. I mean... But but <sighs> then again, there is a game, and this is one of the reasons why this sparked the whole thing, which was there was a game that happens later this year where he was the starting quarterback, and I was like, I, I do I have to go back and rewatch this thing to get it? Because I... I'm mystified by by the box score and the and the recap. Do tell. Georgia, Georgia, Florida. Oh, okay. I, I thought you. Were it just will never of... make sense to me. It just it like it is. It's one of the most like just. I remember someone we're we're going through this Ole Miss Auburn thing a couple weeks ago, and we're we're talking about this these, this game. I'm just again in my rabbit hole. Like, oh man, this is funny. Like, this is there's this one. There's like like there's this game. There's this game. Like, there's all these different unique things that happen. You're like, huh. How did that come about? And then you look at the Georgia game against um, against Florida, and you're like, hold on, they got what happened? Because they got trounced. 34 to, what was it, 20? I thought it was more lopsided than that, wasn't it? I think it might have been. I think it might have been. And it, it, but it was like then I like I was like well maybe somebody was hurt, and it's like well Chubb had 27 carries for 156 yards, and then it was like. Well, maybe maybe something else. Maybe they got like a crazy blocked punt or something, and just everything went wrong. They had a bunch of turnovers. I was like, no, 
they they had one turnover. Each team had one turnover. It's like, well, what happened? And then it was like they show <laughs> they show like look at the box score. It says Treon Harris was three of six for twenty seven yards, and Georgia gave up like four hundred and and eight yards rushing. And I was like, my my head exploded. Like my head almost exploded reading it. It made no sense. Muschamp's lame duck season. It felt like a lame duck season, right? I mean, well, and but you think about it too. People forget. I forgot how good that 2012 team was. 2012 team could have. I mean, it's, I, I know you just put together the entire bracket of teams that didn't win a national championship. I'm not saying that it's in quite in that upper echelon, but right. that's that's a team that easily could have been in that conversation. Or if we had been in a playoff system, something like that would have been well, fun to see what they could have done. And we also, it's a team we talk about where, where we have, like, I, I brought this up earlier, like, that 2012 Notre Dame team. I fully believe there were five, at least five teams from Florida, the SEC that could have beaten could have beaten Notre Dame that year, and Florida was definitely one of them. Muschamp, though, uh, this was his last year in Gainesville. Um, this isn't necessarily just, okay, so this is how I want to, this, this person isn't a prominent extra per se. He became a little bit more well-known this year, but the amount of quarterbacks who were rated ahead of Deshaun Watson in that 2014 class. God, here we go. Kyle Allen. That's it. That's the entire list. Kyle Allen had an interesting year, but he had an interesting year because of Kenny Hill, a.k.a. Kenny Trill. He had like six other nicknames too. The rise and fall of Kenny Trill sort of personified. I'm struggling to say that word today. The, the wa- yeah, the wildness How many that times was. You said it. That was the second time, but I botched it okay. both times. <laughs> yeah, not the best look for That's me. right. Don't worry about it. Kenny Trill. He takes over for Johnny Manziel, of course, and after he goes off against South Carolina in the opener, puts up they put up 52 points. He has this record-setting day. And all of everybody's saying is AM is moving on just fine without Johnny Manziel. I went back and read the stories. I listened to the old news clips. Heisman buzz in early October. First game of the year. He but he carried the Heisman buzz into October. Oh yeah, I'm just saying that like what a what a way to start the year. Yeah. Over 400 yards passing. You know, you beat this team, it's a top ten team. Yeah. By the first weekend of November, AM had lost three straight. Kenny Trill was benched. He was then suspended two games for a violation of team rules. And then after the season ended, he got suspended for a public intox because he was arrested for that. And then he he transferred after that. Uh, Shout out to our guy, Brad Crawford. Um, Used to work at SDS, 24-7 Sports. You know him well. Uh, Wrote a great piece for SDS back in the day. And he had this awesome, awesome lead from hero to zero in two months. That's the Kenny Trill story. At least at a. I I will never forget for as long as I live when Joey Galloway, who at the time I was not a fan of, I just was are not you now? A fan of. Are you? Now? I am now. I am now. I, I like Joey Galloway. I was not at the time because he. I remember him saying this. He said, "A and M will throw for 500 yards against this Alabama defense. Mm. They will throw for 500 yards." And I was like. I don't know if that's that seems like a, that's a lot of yards, and they got beat fifty nine to nothing. That was the moment that I think A and M fans realized. Okay, look, Johnny Manziel, that was that was special. That this was is, special. This is not going to be nearly as easy as we thought it would be a couple months ago. But at the same time, Kyle Allen's a big time recruit, um, had a ton of offers, obviously, and 
you know, the future is looking good because you got Kyler Murray who's supposed to come in next year, and you're still feeling good because Kevin Sumlin just finds a way with this offense. But it really went downhill from there, and it was kind of the beginning of AM realizing that being in the toughest division in college football kind of sucks. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, and, and to be fair, it's something we just talked about earlier today. Is there are there are you're gonna have seasons like this, and this is this is something I really found when I did that that poll of like the top teams that never won a championship. I I I've watched SEC football since since I was four years old, and I remember sitting up on my my grandpa's lap, and at four years old, and I saw a a one two teams that were playing, and there was an orange T on one helmet and an AU on the other helmet, and I'll never forget that for as long as I live. And, and him saying, well, I'm not going to tell you what he said, but he, he was <laughs> he, just, he, he made it very clear that we don't pull for either one of those teams. But I, I've been watching SEC football for my entire life, and it, it is, it's very easy. It's very easy to get sucked into a bias of your own team. And, and I'll say it for me as well, as, as a lot of you guys, like, I'm sure, believe and accuse me of and all that kind of stuff. But it really is. It is kind of easy to get sucked into a bias of what teams were great, what players were great, what, you know, this team did this. And, and not give as much credit to these other teams because there, there's so many seasons where if you come up just short, like just a little bit short, the distance between what you think was a great season for your school versus what uh, the national media or like the, you know, like national f- fans recognize as a great season is so distant. And, th- and there's no other league like the SEC that has that issue. And when I, what I mean by that, I say that is like this season, just looking at 2014. Ole Miss beat Bama. Ole Miss was a great football team. LSU was a good football team. Georgia was a good football team. Some of those teams later on in the year kind of get left behind because they didn't finish as strong as as teams that, that finished like in the you know top five ten in the country. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? You can rack up all these quality wins. You can be a team like Auburn who goes into November and beats a top four team on the road and is feeling good. <laughs> But then the wheels fall off, and all yeah. of a sudden, it's kind of a forgotten year. And that is life in the SEC, and especially in 2014. Marler, do we real need quick. to do the? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask if you want if you want to tell us about our friends at Bet Online. Guys, get on over to BetOnline.ag today, and we've talked about this before. There is not a lot of gambling to go around unless you go over to BetOnline.ag today. You can play poker. You can bet on table tennis. You can bet on. You can bet on a lot of stuff. Still, you can bet on cricket. I don't know what cricket is, but Jiminy, you can definitely bet mm-hmm. on it. I will say that. So go over to betonline.ag today. It is the easiest way to sign up, deposit, and also cash out your money out of any place I've ever ever played on. And guys, that's saying a lot because I've played it a lot of places. So there's that. Go check them out today. What were you gonna say before I made you do an ad? I don't remember. Oh, okay. That's good. All right. <laughs> I got to cut the grass. I got a lot on my mind today, Connor. My favorite line from the broadcast, that's what we usually say when we're doing these to watch a specific game. But I thought, you know what? This would be a good place to dig into the Katy Perry college game day. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. <sighs> I went back and I watched all 12 minutes. And my goodness, I cringed at about eight different moments where I'm like, oh, oh. I was violently offended by her entire appearance at the time because I was a I was a Bama fan. Um, I love Katy Perry. Seen her in concert, and I I was just like, "What in the hell is happening right now?" Um, because yeah, because it was very awkward. It, it it did not flow well from her. It didn't no, it did. Yeah. <laughs> like like, and I think the only reason it came about, if I remember correctly, because because right after this, everyone was like, "Katy Perry, she was huge." 
she, she performed at the Super Bowl at, after, and they talked about that too on the on the college game day. They talked about, oh, are you going to be performing at the Super Bowl? And she's like, oh yeah, I might be interested in doing that. And it's like, all right, everybody knows that you're going to be there. That stupid shirt she was doing, or she was wearing. But like, but I, I just remember like, I was like, hold up, is Katie? If Katy Perry's an Ole Miss fan, that's pretty cool. And, and I remember thinking to myself like, you had remember that those SEC documentaries that, that for SEC Network. Like I think this is the first year we had SEC Network, right? Yes, 2014 was the first year of it. First year of the playoff, first year of SEC Network. So you have you have these like built-in, I'll call them documentaries for SEC Network that were like, you know, here's here's a star. Here's he's one famous person for every single school. And and I want to say Shepard Smith was the guy for the guy on Fox News was the guy on on a uh, um what do you call it, for Ole Miss? And there's just different ones for all, all different, like Georgia, you could name a thousand. They have so many like famous alumni. Florida, the same way. But I remember watching this and I was like, huh. Like, I wonder who they'll choose for Bama. I wonder who they'll choose for Ole Miss. And it was like Melissa Joan Hart <laughs> from, from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Not Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Clarissa explains it all. Anyway, the one you had for Ole Miss wasn't Katy Perry. So I was like, how did she become a fan of Ole Miss? And it turns out it was just like her bus driver. Wait, you corrected yourself. It was it was Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and it wasn't Clarissa Explains It All. You're confusing she, your... No, it's both. it was both then, because she was definitely Clarissa, Clarissa Explains It All. She wasn't Clarissa. Yes, she was. No, that was no, the girl from 10 Things I Hate bet? About You. Beard bet? No, it's, it's a different person. It's a different person. I don't feel good about this. Okay, do you want to do a beard bet or not? I'll look it up right now. I don't want to do a beard bet with you because I know I'm right about this, and that'd be a really different. You, you know you're right. Okay, Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart was not uh, was not Clarissa explains it all. That was the um, was Alex Mack. She was oh, the one in ten things I hate. Ten things I hate about you. So I just saved I'm you like, your beard. I, I will. I will. I haven't looked it up yet. I will bet you my. I'll bet you twenty bucks. Let's bet Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. All right, deal, deal. But today, because I'm gonna want it today. Let me go look look it up real quick. Okay. While you're doing that, I'm gonna I'm gonna outline. And it's Melissa Joan Hart. There you go. Wait, and Clarissa explains it all? Yep. As the main character? Yeah. What? All right, I, I need to look this up for my own confirmation here. <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back to this. Katy Perry. Katy Perry goes on a, a billion different tangents during this. Like we just did. It opens up this scene of... Yeah, exactly. That was why I said that. Um, it opens up with this scene of just a madhouse. I mean, the Grove is going crazy because this is awesome. the first time college game day had ever been there. It is like peak college game day. Fowler even has this line. He's like, "This is like Woodstock in the '70s." And so they yeah. start to do they start to do their picks. And Katy Perry is wearing this frilly pink and black sweater with the number eighty six on it from Victoria's Secret. And Woodstock was in the '60s. <laughs> She's buzzing pretty good. You you yeah. could tell. I mean, right when she gets up there, you know, the crew is and the crew looks even more buttoned up than usual, which is part of that's like yeah. the underrated element because they're all wearing bow ties because they're at the Grove, one oh, in Rome. That's right. So it's Katy Perry's first ever college football game. Her manager, as we found out, went to Ole Miss. They had, you know, they were of course asking her. They're like, "Why are you here? Like, why do you like Ole Miss right. so much?" Um, and so she she brings out that logic. And on the very first time that Corso like turns to her and does like a not so fast. I don't think he's actually said that, but she whips out this massive pencil and just like starts pointing it at Corso. And it's it's weird. So that that alone, odd. The legendary moment when they get to the LSU game, and she says to make her pick, "Uh, did you say LSU or LSPU?" And the corn dog comes out, 
and she just holds this corn dog, and it's like she understands how the internet works, knowing that this is just going to be an image that's burned in the rest of our brain for Wasn't the rest of time. Wasn't it a whole plate of them? She brings out the whole plate after, but initially she right. just had the one, and she just stares into the camera holding this corn dog up, and everybody just goes nuts because Ole Miss fans are like, yeah, LSU fans smell like corn dogs, blah, 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 which is a weird thing that actually started because of Nebraska back in the day. And Auburn was, uh, you know, Auburn basically like started this rumor on internet message boards, whatever. So all this is going down. And then everybody's just trying to figure out like what in the world is going on. Like right. Watching the faces of, of the crew was so great. And then they get to another game. It's like TCU, Oklahoma or something like that. And Katy Perry's first response is, is this the one that has the cocks in it? Thinking it was South Carolina. Right. No, no, and you probably can't say that on a Disney network. But yeah. whatever, they're going to let that fly. Then they actually do get to the Oklahoma game. And then she says, I'm basing this one on looks. Trevor Knight, do you hear me? Oh, and then man, I forgot about that. She hits on Trevor Knight in a way that's like... Hard cringy cringy it's like wait a minute you're the like you know the multi-millionaire recording artist you know all these different things and this is just like a random college quarterback that she's this is a college quarterback (laughs) she says trevor knight call me and during the ohio state thing she pulls out like a heart cardboard cutout of of herbie and then she drops it and then she says i still love you trevor knight call me like she shot her she shot her shot three times multiple times and he i think he had a girl i'm okay so i remember this and i remember like i thought katie perry was banging at the time like she was smoking hot this is kind of peak katie perry too yes and uh, that's all i'm gonna say about that but i just (laughs) i just thought she like she was incredible looking and i remember immediately going to twitter being like does trevor knight have a girlfriend because if he i'm thinking about myself like dude like this is if this is happening to me i'm i'm like telling bay like hey i gotta go to oxford today i'm so sorry (laughs) i'm i didn't expect that this was gonna happen but I, i have to go to oxford today and that's it and i i just i mean like that yeah, she's the adult. <laughs> I think they, like, it was so weird. Go on, right, go on. She throws every last corn dog by the end of this. Fowler is a pro's pro, and he's amazing. Oh, yeah. But even he, throughout this entire thing, is just like, I, I don't know what to do. This is just so awkward. I don't have ways to respond it's never to happened this. before. I, ne- we've never seen anything like this. It ended with her ripping off Corso's elephant head after he picks Alabama. Yeah. And then the, the, the shot that lives on is, is her looking into the camera just flexing. And raising yeah. her arms in this way with this weird number 86 sweater. What a great 2014 moment this was. Just that was oh, awesome. it's, it set the that's stage a, for, that's for a this game. That's a top five too. or top ten college game day moment of all time. And, top and, five, and I will easy. say, it, it's, it is one of the best atmospheres I have ever seen. For Like, I, at the time, I remember hating it so much because I just I, I didn't understand. I was like, this is weird. Like, we, there, there's been big. Keep in mind also, and this is something I meant to bring up earlier, Bama had beaten Ole Miss 10 straight years and beaten them by double digits six out of those 10 years. So I just remember watching this like, this is so stupid. Like, like imagine getting this hyped up over getting beat. And then they, they that, that scene, I think, is probably one of the top five SEC upsets of all time because of what, mm-hmm. they, what they capitalized that day with. In, I mean, in terms of, man, taking down the goalpost like walking it downtown, like taking the goalpost from the stadium 
to your downtown area. And then also having Katy Perry at these bars downtown. I had never been to Oxford at the time, and I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is incredible to watch. I've thought about it since then. How much do you think that day helped Ole Miss enrollment? I mean, it had to just be oh. a ton. I mean, you want to you talk about like an ideal day to showcase your university and all those different things. Like that is how you draw it up. I yeah. mean, you, you we're talking about this six years later. We'll be talking about this twenty years from now, thirty years from now, and what a signature day that was for Ole Miss. And you're right, they capitalize on that moment, and it's one of those things that you're never going to forget. Like if you're talking about the story of Ole Miss football in the 21st century, you kind of have to go there and spend a lot of time with it because it was just freaking nuts. Yeah. All right. The coldest take from the broadcast. Now, again, we didn't have one specific game. I could have gone in to to, to one game and found a cold take, I'm sure. But I went back and I, I watched all of what I could watch from the first playoff rankings announcement where it was uh, Reese Davis, David Pollock, and our good buddy, Danny Cannell. Yeah. The surprise for them during the announcement was Auburn at number three. But it was weird for me to hear them debate, like, is Ole Miss going to be ahead of Alabama, not knowing right. the head-to-head? David Pollock kept bringing that up of, like, could, are, are they really going to value head-to-head? And they kept talking about quality losses. And by the end of the broadcast, they're like, oh, I guess we spent too much time talking about quality losses because they don't mean a whole lot. It's about who you no. beat. Yeah, and that's still true six years later. Agreed. Um, it was – It was. that was – that was such a weird time because it was like, man, it's crazy. I just didn't think that you could drop that much from from the time those rankings came out and how excited we were to see them for the first time. For them to for 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 a team to be able to drop that much, it, it, it to this day it kind of blows my mind. And it, Are you talking it about Ole Miss? Kind of, I'm just talking about in general, like in general, like because it it, kind of, it, it yes, Ole Miss, but also Auburn. Like it, it just kind of speaks volumes at how deep the conference was as a whole that season. I think uh, the the other my my other favorite cold take was Coward said, and I, oh Coward's easy to come up with cold takes. It's it's almost like cheating. It's not really that fair. He and Jason McIntyre are like, all right, even cold takes exposed. They're he doesn't want to go down that road all the time. It's shooting fish in a barrel. Coward yeah. though said that Malzahn to Saban will be like Saban was to Urban at Florida, and that Malzahn was gonna own Saban. Um, you know, Gus, to his credit, <laughs> to his credit, has he beat Saban three times. And that is something that very few human beings on planet Earth can, will ever be able to see. He had a 15-point lead this year. They I were mean, up 36-21. I mean, the guy owning Saban? Owning this is Saban? the best 8-5 and five team I have ever seen in my entire life. And I'm not <laughs> making a joke when I say that. I swear to God I'm not making a joke when I say that. This... This Auburn team is its the best receiver duo. It's the most underrated SEC receiver duo we've ever talked about. It is one of the greatest. Like, it sounds so dumb because they got beat by Miles Garrett and, and A&M late in the season. And they, and they had this, like, weird end where it was like, what? How? Like, that team was, was, by all means, I thought, great. Nothing about the way that Auburn finished that season felt right when you – remember the the year that they had in 2013 where it just felt like everything bounced their way and then kind of at the end of 2014 after that old miss game everything kind of just didn't work out for them they just right. had some bizarre performances and fell apart down the stretch the sec preseason media poll is always a good source for a yeah. cold take but Hold this on, year you... especially go ahead yeah well so i was gonna tell you my my 
coldest take. Mm, fire away. And it was. It came out of my own mouth. Ooh, can I guess it? Was it Tim McGraw and Nelly will collab for the greatest song? <laughs> I love that 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 for you is my Malik Willis like that yes. is and it should be because it is the worst mm-hmm. take I've ever had in my entire life. No, so this is this is a real thing and this happened later. I hope I'm not this is this shouldn't spoiler alert. Bama loses to Ohio State in the SEC, or in the uh, in the Sugar Bowl. They right? did. Yes, they did. And I remember saying to my dad at the time, and 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 we were anyway. I, I remember talking to my dad at this point, and I said. I said, it doesn't matter anyway, because nobody is beating Oregon. Mm. Nobody. And if you look at that team, that Oregon team, Marcus Mariota had, and we'll talk about the Heisman thing here, I guess, as well, but, like, the best Heisman top three finish ever, you have the, the receiver, uh, is a, you have a receiver, a quarterback, and a running back, Cooper, um, Melvin, Melvin Gordon. Gordon, who had over two, 2,300 yards at the time of voting. Uh, Cooper sets an all-time SEC record for most most uh, receptions in a season. And then you have Marcus Marietta, who, oh, just ho-hum, goes up in the Pac-12 that season and puts up 55 touchdowns and four interceptions. He had 41, no, I'm sorry, 57. 57 touchdowns, I think, right? And Because he had 42 touchdowns passing and four interceptions. Man, he was good. He was it really, was really good. It was unreal. That's not that bad of a take, though, because... I think there were a lot of people really getting on board with Oregon. Was I think Oregon was probably still favored in the na- in the national championship. Connor, there were two teams left, and I had one, I had a chance to pick the right one, and, and I was so over the top adamant. I was like, "It don't matter anyway, Paul." God, <laughs> the SEC preseason media poll was was bad. the The West not terrible. So the West, Bama picked to finish first, which that's what happened. Auburn picked to finish second. LSU third. Ole Miss fourth. Mississippi State fifth, AM sixth, and Arkansas seventh. Mississippi State is the tough one, and obviously that team came out of nowhere. So, eh, yeah. but still a reminder that these things are difficult to predict. The East is worse. South Carolina was the preseason pick to win oh the division. God. Georgia picked to finish second, Florida third. Mizzou, who ultimately won the division, was picked to finish fourth, Tennessee fifth, Vandy sixth, Kentucky seventh. Yeek. Not ideal. Not ideal. Um, no. The South Carolina thing, it was the first year post-Clowney. And maybe the 52-point game against AM kind of woke people up to this belief of like, hey, this isn't that easy. And just because you lose a player of that caliber like, doesn't mean everything's just automatically going to be okay. But right. South Carolina did... I mean, had this seven-win season, and it ends up being the second-to-last year of Spurrier. But quickly, we realized that that was going to be a cold take when AM went into Columbia and did what it did. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I, you know what's weird too is that South Carolina. You talk about those college game days from earlier. South Carolina ends up being they still they still got the first game day of the year against Mizzou. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. Which is, I don't I mean, it doesn't really matter that much, but it was just kind of a bizarre thing that happened. The Speaking of South Carolina, the Jadavian Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. Here's one that you'll appreciate. I'm pandering. Whatever. Reuben Foster, when he just destroyed Leonard Fournette on that squib kick at the end of regulation, Bama LSU, and... <sighs> That was after a moment in which, a very rare moment in which a Bama kicker made a game-tying field goal to force That's overtime. That game, I will never forget that game as long as I live, only because of the fact that 
I had drank myself into an oblivion that night. Mm. And I've I've said this before about that game in like specifically like that that rivalry. And it's it's a game where I go to the liquor store and <laughs> okay, how this sounds. That's a game where I don't do it as much now. But in the past I, I will go you to the store. You still do this now? I don't do it now. I'm a professional. But I <laughs> I would go to the liquor store and I would get like one of each. I would get a vodka, a bourbon, beer, and then I'd always have a fresh stick of deodorant. And I know you guys think that I'm like making a joke right now, but this is a real thing. There's Instagram. I'll post a picture from Instagram to, to, to show it, but I'll just never forget that game. I, I was like, Bama was tied 10-10 with like a minute and 14 seconds to go. And I like, for whatever reason, we had invited, me and my buddy Jeff, we had invited over a bunch of girls to the apartment, which like I didn't do for Bama games. Surprise. I don't know why. Thank you. Yeah. And so I remember going into my room when it was tied. I was like, oh, my God. Like, like Chris, focus. The team needs you. And I go to my room, <laughs> and Jeff comes in, and he goes, hey, hey, how about, how about a little pick-me-up? We haven't tried scotch yet. And he hands me this glass of scotch, and oh. I swear to God, as it touches my hand, TJ Yeldon fumbles the ball inside of, like, their own 10-yard line. And I was like, get out of my room. Get out of my life. Never talk to me again, bro. It was awful. But yeah, they, but they and they ended up coming back and like they had they were down three with with fifty seconds and no timeouts. There's like a famous video of some kid saying it's like fifty seconds, no timeouts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and Blake Sims, man, that was that was a fun season. Yeah, won in overtime and you know kept national championship hopes alive on a trick play call from from uh, the first play of overtime. They they ran a trick play that that Kiffin had drawn up early in the year where he they brought Brandon Green who was this like eighth string offensive lineman. And they they went they went to an on balance line, as Gary would say, <laughs> and uh, and ran like play action and threw them. He was like wide open. He got down the one yard line. I was. What were some other good games though? I was foolishly going to ask you whether or not you you remembered that. Um, of, course, <laughs> of course you do. Uh, a lot of other games with with uh, with top fifteen teams. You had A uh, and M at Mississippi State. That was one of the games against. That that Dak really really showed up and and went off. Wasn't that was the college game day game too? Wasn't that was it? the first one? That was the first one on the stretch of of those. However, because because LSU wasn't ranked in the top ten at the time. Right. Um, let's see what else you have. We already talked about Auburn, Ole Miss, obviously. Um, Auburn at Mississippi State, another big big Huge big, big game. time game. Two that was versus three. Versus three. Two. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a very very big deal. Um, Bama, LSU, we've already done. Bama, Ole Miss, we've already Bama, discussed. LSU might have been the lowest ranked teams. At was that because five versus 11, five versus fourteen? Yeah, on the road. I mean, I think Will, our producer, was there too at that game. But but like, hold on, so let me let me bring this up. Let me bring this up. This is this is something that one of our listeners wrote, and I just think it's really cool. And I'm sorry that it's, that it's a Bama fan that said it, but it, this is from Will Martin. He says, I'm super excited about you doing the 2014 football season because I've always said it was one of my favorite years of football. As a sophomore at Alabama, the time of the season was an experience unlike any other. The first year of Lane Kiffin, Blake Sims going from fifth string running back to, to first string quarterback, a record-breaking QB, Amari Cooper having the best receiver season in SEC history, one of the worst defenses Saban ever had since 2008. Um, the, change in, the change in music uh, at Bryant Denny was a big deal. And I thought that was interesting because you finally had this thing that I, I think it was – more so across the SEC, where they finally started giving in to this fun environment for football. Like, like I remember growing up there, and it was like, God, how many times do I have to hear Leonard Skinner? 
I get it. I get it. Like, there's only so much deep cut Skinner I can put on some Molly Hatchet. You know what I mean? Like, I can't. I can't hear just deep cut Skinner over and over. And and so I thought that this was an interesting thing. Like the Dak Prescott season, the stuff at Ole Miss, and and like, I'm an, I got goosebumps right now because I'm a I'm a softy when it comes to this stuff. But you really got a chance to see the Georgia Clemson game, which is one of my favorite rivalries mm. in all of cultural history, and and like. You really got a chance to see some of these stadiums, some of these fan bases, some of these environments, and, and really be on on display for the country. And it was it was just so cool to watch, man. It was just so cool to watch that. When people ask why is the SEC different, a year like this kind of makes the argument because why do why does it feel like SEC athletic directors have such high expectations and why do they make these quick firings and all that stuff? It's a wasteland for coaches. You just they're, they're yeah. chew you up and spit you out. When you have nine of 14 teams get into the top 15, yeah. I mean, it sets expectations to a level where you think, think about that. That's what we should be doing. And no no other conference is, is doing stuff like that. I mean, that that no. is the type of dominance that we're talking about here. And go figure that this was still in the midst of this, like, two-year funk that the SEC had where it didn't win a national championship, too. Right. That ended, the, of course, the, the seven straight years of How many bowl titles. teams? How many bowl teams went to, from the SEC that year? Do you know I'm off gonna, the top of your head? I'm going to assume it's it's got to be – no, it's got to be 10. 12. What? 12. Kentucky and Vandy are the only teams that, from the SEC that didn't go to a bowl that season. Holy think I mean, like, cow. think about that. So when you when you have a season, oh, God, I I'm so fired up right now. Florida and like, Arkansas were the two that I forgot that weren't in the top fifteen. Yeah, okay. Florida went to the Birmingham Bowl. Mm. Go and I, Birmingham I'll say that Bowl. again. Florida went to the Birmingham Bowl, <laughs> which is an amazing. Eh, whatever, we're not gonna get into it. Um, that is an amazing thing that that happened. Um, but yeah, like just you look at it right here. Like Missouri goes, Missouri and Georgia, both ten win teams. Um, every, yeah, every every team in the SEC besides besides Kentucky and Vanderbilt finished with a winning record. Yeah, twelve out of fourteen. That is nuts. Speaking of Mizzou, the Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. It's Shane Ray for me. This actually, yeah. if you if you look back the in terms of the first rounders and, and even the some of the second rounders that were starring or kind of getting onto the scene in twenty fourteen actually have done pretty well for themselves in the NFL, despite some of the collapses that some of these teams had. You know, a lot of these guys have turned out to be really solid NFL players. Shane Ray, though, was so good this year. And I I just remember him him having this this type of year where, by the end of it, he was such a household name. And it's like, you know, Mizzou edge edge guy is going to be a household name. That's, okay, interesting. Um, But obviously, like, what happened after, I mean, kind of sad. Brought up earlier, he had the wind arrest right before the NFL draft, which couldn't have been worse timing for him. And he's actually not in the league anymore, which is surprising. Had wrist yeah. issues with the Broncos. Physically, he was, he was really, I mean, it was, it was incredible to watch. Um, I'll give you one. Hmm. <laughs> First off, let's go back real quick to the cold take. Which one of you idiots in the media said that Trey DePriest was a first-string linebacker? That dude is the worst linebacker that Saban has had ever. That, that dude was built like Danny DeVito, like the, the actor. DeVito. He did. He. I'm just saying he was built identical to Danny DeVito, like and just like he. Ugh. He, he's like a little bucket with arms running around all over the field. I'll just anyway. Um, 
The one that I was surprised it didn't work out the most. Cody Pruitt. That was interesting. Um, who was the Who was the kid from? Uh, no, not Cody Pruitt. Who was the Who was the DB from Ole Miss that had nine interceptions? Oh, Golson. Golson, and then the other one I'll say Cyrus Quandro from Bama. That was kind of surprising. Um, I, I and then I think the the one that I would that stands out the most for me is is the Sammy Coates and Duke, Duke Williams. Duke Williams, because that's just those two guys were such physical freaks. And and you know another one, Malcolm Mitchell, who ended up having a pretty serviceable career, but he was such a good receiver. Mm-hmm. And oh, here you go, another one, DGB Doriel Green Beckham. Yeah, but he was so he didn't even play this year, which is but the, still the crazy. I mean, like crazy talented, but yeah, I mean when you get kicked off the team, it's kind of like, well, that is true. Your, yeah. your chance is limited. But was <laughs> yeah, he was he was a five star recruit too, wasn't he? Back in the he day, he was the number two overall recruit in the country, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. a very very big deal. Um, the thing you didn't know slash remember until rewatching slash slash researching this. Um, two things that I've already hit on, so I won't I won't go in depth. Yeah. I'm more interested in your perspective because you you lived this in a different way I'm than I did. One. You are the smart one. <laughs> uh, the Kenny the Kenny Hill uh, hype train that just went all over the place and then just came to a crashing halt in you know very quick two months there. Um, I, 2014 though was almost like A and M's welcome to the SEC year. Everyone was so high on someone before that and. I just remember thinking like, oh, like AM is just gonna be fine. And AM is what a great fit in the SEC. And then over the course of time, it seemed like something like this would happen every year where you get really excited about AM and then of course they'd fall apart yeah. in November. But this was this the first was, time that had happened, but yes. Yeah. Um, South Carolina being a top ten team the year before Spurrier left. I, I preface that because everybody points I preface that by saying the year before Spurrier left. Because 2015, the way that that team um, was bad from the start, and Spurrier quit on the team, I forget how how much how, like what those expectations were like just a year earlier, and that it wasn't yeah. this gradual decline or you know two three years or something like that. I mean, it, it really fell apart quickly for them. Obviously, the media picked to win the division as well, and people assuming that they would just be okay without Clowney. It was I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and really irresponsible. <laughs> Maybe, maybe a little I just, bit. Well, and it also goes to show you how wrong the media and, and we can be sometimes thinking these though of what we are so like so guaranteed in knowing. I would mm-hmm. say, quote unquote, um, going into a season and then you know finding out what we actually know. So one of the things was go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. You want to you want to go ahead? Uh, the the last one's a good enough one to save for the end here. Okay, so for me it was I forgot this was this was my favorite Bama team they have, that that I've I've watched under Saban. This was my mo- most fun season I think just because it was, you know, uh, a team that was like was like in the underdog role a lot. Um, I forgot uh, I forgot how deep the SEC was. Like I, like I remember that season like Bama almost lost to Arkansas, and I forgot even Arkansas was a good team that year. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact the SEC West was able to do what they did is is still, to this day, pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. So I, I forgot how deep they were, and I forgot how how much star power was in the SEC at this point. Because yes. cause I, I, I just kind of, and I hate to say this, Mississippi State fans, I was never worried about watching Mississippi State in terms of my team beating them. And, and it's only because, not because they weren't a good team, but it's because, man, they've been through the ringer. They've got to be kind of beaten up a little bit. Like, there's tape on them now. Like, you're not going to catch anybody off guard. And 
I, I just wasn't as concerned as I was about looking at an Ole Miss team that has the number one scoring defense in the country and all this talent. And then Auburn being as good as they were on offense with so much talent returning on offense from the year before. And just there was there was so much star power when you look at Gurley and Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott and these guys that you look at now, you know, that's Wheaties box dudes, man. Mm-hmm. Like those, those dudes are even now like the face of franchises and stuff like that. And and Dak somehow is gonna get all this money. But like it's just So much money. It's cool to see it's cool to see looking back on it, like it that's just three players. That's just three players that you're looking at where this just this season had had my favorite moment of all time. Um, Katy Perry. No, it was when. Well, what's the last question in the notes? <laughs> the last the the play the player image that we'll always remember. Okay, right so you go ahead, you go ahead, but yeah, okay. go ahead. That's perfect. Um, I forgot about Matty Mock's rise, the Mizzou quarterback who uh, things did the not drug work out for him. The cocaine video that surfaced after the 2015 season. Um, easy to forget though that he was. Quarterback of a SEC division champ in 2014. I mean, had moments, you know, ran over that dude against Minnesota in the Citrus Bowl as well. I mean, like, he, he was a player. I mean, he was not somebody, like, when I got to this this company in 2015, I was like, Matty Mock, you guys still talking about him? Like, he's he's, he's good? I, I don't know, because he, he just fell apart in that 2015 season, and obviously what happened afterwards was not ideal. But I forgot just kind of how good he was that specific year. The when the losing team blew it. I promise we're gonna get to we're gonna get to your, your moment at, at the end here. Okay, real quick before we do that, before we do that, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna finish up wrapping up the story of this 2014 season. Are you subscribed yet to the Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook? Because you should be. You really should be. Why? Well, I, I mean, if you're looking for content right now in this sportsless world. I would suggest that that's a good place to start. We've got meme wars, we've got trash talk, we've got everything you could possibly want on a Facebook group. And it's not gonna clog your feed, I promise it's a private group. We make sure that people are, are vetted, at least somewhat, before you know accepting. By vetted, I mean make sure you're not a robot. But if you're looking for great college football content, not just SEC content, why not just go subscribe to the Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook? And hey, while you're at it, actually just subscribe to the Saturday Down South podcast. Give us a five-star review. If you haven't done so, why not do it now? Because you're probably quarantined. You probably have all the time in the world. And it would really make us smile if you gave us a five-star review. So do all those three things. And all right, yeah, let's get back to the podcast. I did when the losing team blew it as kind of when the SEC was decided. and That's fair. I mean, the Mississippi State-Bama game, I, I mean, that was the real, like if Mississippi State was going to win that game, obviously they have the, the total control. They would have clinched yeah. that day, I believe, too. They would have clinched the division, and instead they were looking at, they needed Bama to, to lose in the Iron Bowl. Well, as they well. were ranked one, and Bama was five, right? Right, but then Bama jumped up to number one after that game. Right, um, but there was uh, yeah, there was still there was that a... belief of like Bama was going to win that game. I mean, there was still that 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 feeling that Bama was going to win the division at this point, right? And they, yeah, I didn't. I, I was not. I was way more concerned about the the um, the Auburn game. And I, I'm not saying that to be a jerk to Mississippi State fans. It's just those games weren't ever. They hadn't been close really that much at the time. You know what I mean? And so it was. It was hard for me to imagine that, like, oh, they're gonna not make it first off, and they're gonna do it like losing to this Mississippi State team, who, who like was battle tested, but like beaten up, man. Again, just beaten up. And so, um, 
I, I think that's probably the best best or the most fair date to put on that. Um, another one could also be the Auburn A and M loss mm. because Auburn was coming off this like thing where, you know, they had a chance to uh, to like kind of close out strong. And I think if there's maybe if there's you could say if there's more on the line, maybe they would have played differently. I don't know, but them losing to A and M the way they did, it kind of like was like the nail in the coffin for that team. So I, I it was um there's a there's a couple you could say, but I think that it's probably most fair to say the the Mississippi State Bama one. That makes yeah. sense. It it felt like after that game, like Bama wasn't I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, like Bama had gotten back on track and Bama wasn't going to to lose the division and it wasn't going to be one right. of these wild years. Of course they still needed to be able to win the Iron Bowl to be able to make that happen. But still a, a game that I think really kind of shaped the the rest of the SEC and how we remembered it that year. Bama in control throughout that game, too. It wasn't like some down-of-the-wire game. That's one thing people forget about, too, because I, th- I forgot the final score. I they say, scored in the last like minute or something like that. The last 30 seconds, yeah. and I remember, like, and I'll, I'll just never forget, they also had, that was the game where they played We Them Boys, and they started finally playing rap music instead of Molly Hatchet. Um, <laughs> was it Molly Hatchet or Molly's Hatchet? Somebody's going to be pissed. Cause I'm, I'm, I might have said that wrong, but... Um, yeah, it's just what a, what an interesting year. What an interesting year all around. Georgia, I mean Georgia boat raced Mizzou that year and boat raced Auburn. Thirty-four nothing beat Mizzou. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and then I just I I also remember so when Shane Ray got ejected for targeting, I'm there with two of my best friends and my best friend uh, obviously Jeff who's a Mizzou fans, and so we're there and like I'm in Bama, I'm in a Bama shirt and they're in Mizzou stuff, but I've I've always pulled for Mizzou because we've gone to a Mizzou game every single year for like you know three or four years before that. And I'll just never forget getting, We I was like, let's just walk for a while, as I tend to do after these big games for some reason. We walked from the stadium to the Fox Theater, which is like a pretty, pretty far walk, okay? And the entire time I was just, he was in my ear telling me about why Bama does get the benefit of the doubt on calls all the time. And it was it was not a fun walk. It was not a fun walk. We had the walk after the 2018 SEC Championship where you were walking on air after that. After yeah, it was the, fun. the Jalen Hurts comeback, of course. Uh, that was a long walk, too. That was almost two miles. Why do you like that long was, walks so, so much? I don't, so the, the Fox Theater is literally two blocks, or th- I'm sorry, three blocks before that. So it was, I don't know. Remember the one time, that 2017 FSU Bama game? I walked all the way home. It was like four miles. I didn't know um, you then, so I don't remember yeah, that. that's fair. Um, that's good. I don't think I knew myself then. <laughs> What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? Now, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. Let's let's start with, uh, let's say that Mississippi State beats Bama and gets to the playoff. Because keep in mind, Mississippi State that been cool. undefeated at this point. Um, I don't really think that changes anything too much for Bama. Correct me if I'm wrong here. But, I mean, obviously they wouldn't have made it to the playoff and all that stuff. But, like, in terms of... What it meant for Saban moving forward. Kiffin still had a really good year, you know, with that offense and all those different things. I don't know how much that that changes Bama's like, you know, next few years or anything like that. Had they not made it there, it would have been two straight years not going to the SEC championship. But I don't think people. Maybe it expedites the dynasty is dead type stuff a little bit more without a doubt. Ohio State. It, it might have. Well, and also you got to think about this too. If Bama has already Bama loses those two games to a team's. One they hadn't lost to in a decade, and then two they they with Ole Miss, and they lose to a Mississippi State team that, like dating up until now, you know this is obviously in the middle of it, but like they haven't lost to since two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. True. So I think some there's something to be said for like they might not beat Auburn. That might like I, I think the that dynasty they could oh, have fallen off. A, 
that's I think that's and I think it's very fair to say that would have happened too. And and you know, then you start looking at like where do they rank in in terms of like the best teams of in the conference? Um, who who leaves? Who comes back? Like I think there's a lot to be said for like what could have been different <laughs> from that year. My biggest thing is what if Georgia doesn't lose to Florida? And, and I, I talked to my buddy Cav Harris about this. He's a big Florida fan. I love Cav. He's he's, he's a great dude. We met Cav at uh, at Media Day last year. That's right. And and he brought up the point. He was like, I was like, because I was asking, him, I was like, what the hell happened in this game? Like, what could have happened in this Georgia Florida game? And he was like, Oh, are you talking about the game where where uh, we had a Publix bagger, it's like a Publix grocery store worker who faked a field goal and ran it for a touchdown. And I was like, Yeah, I think so. And um, and that guy ended up still going to work his shift like that Sunday or something crazy. I, I think there's there's a lot to be said for what could have happened in in the SEC that if things went differently. I think it's, I think the biggest way to look at it or the biggest um, avenues that could have had like significant change was if Auburn would have finished stronger. And if if Mississippi State would have won that that game against Bama, Mississippi State, if they had won that game against Bama, I think that Ohio State probably still would have ripped up that defense. I, yep. I think just the things they had going with Zeke and Mike Thomas yep. and Cardell, like they were they were on a different level. But the more interesting thing, does Dan Mullen ever leave Mississippi State if he That's gets to the, the playoff? If he wins an SEC championship, and gets to the playoff because. No offense, Mizzou. I, I think Mississippi State wins that game um, in the SEC championship. Uh-huh. I, I I think they probably would have. That's that's my guess. Um, if Mississippi State had gotten to the playoff and Dan Mullen sees, look, I can do this here. I've built this. This is exactly what I've been going for. Right. But there's a little bit of this feeling a couple years after, and even you know Dak coming back in 2015 of we hit it just right and we reached kind of yeah. what what we think our ceiling could be. And, you know, ultimately he decided after the 2017 season that he could, A, get out of the division, and B, have a higher ceiling at Florida potentially. That that appealed to him. And I, if they had had this, this year that would have continued even longer, and if we had been talking about them not just being the number one team in the country in the first ever playoff poll, but getting to the playoff, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that that, had to, that would have factored into to his mindset moving forward. Well, Connor, here's the thing. No one was beating that Oregon team. Or that Ohio State. <laughs> I, I will say it's funny, and I'm going to call you out on this a little bit here. Mm. It is kind of interesting to look at that. Like we, we talked about this at the beginning of the, the episode, how I, I Mizzou just kind of gets kind of cast aside all the time, and you're telling me even now you're like, you know Mizzou's only loss that year was to Georgia and Bama. Uh, Indiana. And Indiana. Yeah. Indiana. But so like That's in a conference, why. like, in a, but sure, okay. But, like, it is kind of funny to think that, like, oh, okay, so – so we we are automatically already back to thinking, yeah, they wouldn't have beat Mississippi State. Here's well, here's why I say that because the year that was in the West and how loaded it was, you just kind of felt yeah. like whoever was going to emerge from that was going to be the significant favorite to to beat whoever came out of the East. And I don't, I'm not going to diminish what Mizzou did that year. Incredibly impressive. Getting to consecutive SEC championships is not an easy thing to do, but. I still would have given the benefit of the doubt to Dak, and at that point in the season, I don't think their run would have ended there necessarily. That's fair. That's that's a very good point. I get that. Um, the we we said we were going to delay this last week. The what would have happened if Ole Miss had beaten Auburn and Treadwell? Let's just say Treadwell gets into the end zone and it's a normal play, and he doesn't get injured, go down, all that stuff. Does that change how Ole Miss shows up against Arkansas? I think it does. I mean, they were. 
Yeah. They, they were They smoked. lost 30 to nothing. They were destroyed. And I'm not saying that it automatically means that, oh, yeah, Ole Miss would have won because they would have cared a lot more. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. I don't think it would have been 30 to nothing. Yep. And I think it, it could have been different. It, it absolutely could have been different if Ole Miss, you know, because they beat Mississippi State fair and square. And that's the other thing that right. people are saying. It was like, oh, well, you're forgetting that Mississippi State also lost in the Egg Bowl. And, you know, it, it's irrelevant to talk about them in the SEC championship. I get all that. But how much does that change things for Ole Miss? I don't know. I don't know. I, That's a good question. Uh, that window, though. It, the bowl, yeah. The bowl the bowl landscape, It's it, it would be interesting to see how much different that looked. If no SEC team made it to the playoff. Oh, yeah. Like, that that would be ex- like very interesting. And I'm trying to think. I'm tr- like, I, I should have already done this and had it in front of me. But, like, where each team ended up. To, like, in, Georgia and Shreveport or something. No, that wouldn't happen. Well, no, well, no, that wouldn't have happened because they, they were better than that. But it was like, hold on. I mean, we can the, – like the, the summary of where they each team ended up. I'm trying to think of like the bowls that season. Because, I mean, you're talking about 12 teams that went to bowls. Um, Birmingham, the Birmingham Bowl – so you wouldn't have had – oh, now it's ridiculous. It's hard to figure this out. You wouldn't have had the Sugar Bowl, obviously. Missouri goes to the, the Citrus Bowl. So they didn't even have – this is, is this before the, the New Year's Six Bowls? No, this was this the New Year's Six Bowls were were a thing, but Mizzou wasn't wasn't in that that slot. That's bizarre. Oh, hold on, here you go. So we had we had somebody in the Orange Bowl and the Peach Bowl, and okay, so yeah, you had that's that's when Ole Miss went to the Peach Bowl, mm-hmm. and you had uh, Mississippi State lose to Georgia Tech in the in the Orange Bowl. I don't know. That's weird. It's it's, it's odd. I, I'm assuming that one of those teams would have been left out, and I don't know who it would be. But, but it's it's that's interesting. I think a one loss SEC team, it, whether that was Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Auburn, whoever it was, or Georgia even, I think that they were still going to get that one seed because there was this this overwhelming feeling that if you if you came out of the SEC with one loss that year, you were going to get that because Ohio State had one loss and Oregon had one loss. Florida State was was undefeated. Florida State wasn't the one seed that year, and even wasn't the one seed in you know the first playoff poll or anything like that because obviously Mississippi State was as well, right. but. Florida State, easy to forget that year, the the second year, the the post Heisman Jameis year. That Florida State team won seven games by one score, and everybody was just sort of waiting. They were sort of waiting for them to have that that moment of realization, and that came in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. So my question: How many SEC teams beat that Florida State team? Bama, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, UGA. All of them? People, we haven't even talked about how good that LSU team was this year. Um, eight, <laughs> eight SEC I, teams. I don't know about State. eight. Eight's a lot, man. <laughs> no, that, I'm to, like to be fair, you know, you know, it is funny that we didn't we didn't talk about this at all. It, I'll answer your question first. So I don't forget it, but uh, that's tough. That's that's tough. I, like I, w- I will say two things on that Florida State team, and, and that's this. One, one of the most hysteric. This was this was such a frustrating thing, but it's hysterical to think about now is I forgot how much I hated this Florida State team. Like, the 2013 team that we always talk about, how, how great they were, they were great. They didn't play a tough schedule at all, in my opinion. This 2014 team, you just sat there waiting the whole year for the wheels to fall off. And this was just, after Jameis had all the stuff, you know, the crab-like stuff, the assault yes. stuff, the, I mean, the suspension, the, well, the Clemson he stood game. Up on, so he, he stood up on the table mm-hmm. and said something that I'm not going to repeat, but he says something, and you're like, "How is this kid still playing?" And this is also when, and I remember, I remember, I remember 
seeing this and being like, oh my God, like Jimbo Fisher doesn't have control of this team. Yep. He absolutely does not have control of this team. And what happened was the game he was suspended. He was suspended for the whole game of the first half. Against, it was the whole game against Clemson, wasn't he? And then he shows Clemson, up. Yeah. He shows up on the sideline, and Jimbo's like, it, what are you doing? He comes, out of the, the, he comes out of the locker room before the game. It's an 8 o'clock primetime game on, on, on ABC. He comes out of the locker room in full pads. Yeah, like, Jameis, this and, is and not Jimbo's how you like, get suspended. I just remember, I remember, I remember Jimbo giving him this look like, like this eye roll, like look to the heavens, like, bro, how do you not get it? Like, how do you just lay low for a minute? And and, and just Jameis had like, what? Like, I don't, I don't know. The other thing I will say about that Florida State team is the RKO, like the, the, and a lot of you that watch wrestling know what I'm talking about when I say this, the RKO that happened to Jameis Winston in that Rose Bowl where he like came up and like, it's <laughs> weird. He got hit. And and then like or maybe he wasn't hit, but like somehow just fell and the ball came out and it's it was like the golden age. It was like the first golden age of like gifts and memes that came out yes. from college football, and and it happened at his expense. And I think everyone loved it at the time. And and I, I remember I remember when when that team lost, it was as close to how I felt about a team like Clemson, but the first time I had felt it, um, or Notre Dame as I have in my entire life, where mm. I truly celebrated them losing. Almost more than my own team winning. Does that make sense? We need a villain like, in college football like that. Yeah, we need. Yeah, that. I mean, well, we have one. It's their their name is Clemson. <laughs> I, I just I, I remember like like the other day there was and I can't remember her name and she's she's new to the Facebook group. She's been really really fun and um and has contributed a lot. She's she's really great. She's like a younger person, but she made this comment about the Clemson 2016 win that our editor Chris Wright said was one of the most memorable moments of his entire life or some crap. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I say that out of spite. But but the 2016 National Championship where Bama lost to Clemson, she's a Mississippi State fan. And she said that was her favorite sports memory, non-Mississippi State sports, like college football memory, I think, of her life. And I was like, that's kind of odd because it wasn't even your team. That's exactly how I felt about Jameis Winston losing and losing like terribly to that, that Oregon team. Embarrassingly, yeah. I think we can say that. I think I know your answer to this. I'm not 100% you don't. sure. You don't. Oh, okay, I don't. All right, the player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this season. Um, I'll I'll let you close. How about we do that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, if it's the entire year for me, it's Zeke scoring against Oregon and then doing oh. the LeBron TD dance. I say that because I'm not here if Ohio State wow. loses that I game. I can't believe that. I'm not. I'm. I'm not talking to you right now if Ohio State loses that game. As a friend. Yeah, I mean, our former boss wanted to start the Big Ten site Saturday tradition after seeing Ohio State do what it did, come back as the unanimous number one team in the country, and he was like, hey, we need to start a Big Ten site. This Ohio State thing is incredible. They just got Jim Harbaugh. Big Ten's going to be much more interesting. Hire me to run the Big Ten site. Ohio State was very much a part of that. So for me, yes, that that is always going to stand out. I wasn't like rooting for Ohio State in that game. I think I actually picked Oregon to win that game like you, but... Um, if it's just the SEC, it's Katy Perry. It's Katy Perry holding up a corn dog, or Katy Perry flexing. What are those two things that uh, 2014 is just like? That's that's it right there. It's it's bananas moments, unpredictable stuff that you just. It was made for the internet. 2014 that yeah. year was so made for the internet, and we uh, looking back on it, <laughs> the the internet still is like, whoa, that that year was freaking nuts. Yeah, I so, uh, man, um, 
I hate you so much right now. For one, um, from so for me, what did I this, do? What 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 are you talking about? I just so I I what I hated from, um, well, I just maybe it's just something I just I've never really understood was. Ohio State fans really love that moment with Zeke. It I was mean, the LeBron just, thing. It was the LeBron thing. It was no, no, no to... like the, them beating Bama, like them beating Bama. Oh, because he did the yeah, he did the celebration then too. I I was yeah. saying I was I said the one the time they did it against Oregon too. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so for me, it was it was this this uh, I'm, I'm trying to like the, the best moment for me was. Um, and I'll, I'll just be a fan purely of this one because this whole season was great. Honestly, the the Grove showing out that day for game day was one of my favorite moments. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State, the Cowbells, like the 2014 whole season, that month of October, that three straight weeks of beating ranked teams, that was awesome for me to watch. Um, th- there were so many moments like that. For me, the, the greatest moment, and this is my favorite play in the history of, of Alabama football, was when um, against Auburn, Lane Kiffin, they're, they're, Bama's losing like 36-21, and I remember having to make a liquor store run in the second half of that game, which shouldn't happen because I had enough. <laughs> I had enough to get me through a full game, you would think. And I just remember I remember um, going to the second half of that game, and, and Amari Cooper's the only like, – Blake Sims had thrown three interceptions in the first half, and, 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 and this is – I know that there's going to be a lot of you that think that like, oh, he's just like being a fanboy or whatever, and that's fine, but there was a moment in this game where – where Lane Kiffin called a play, and, and him and Saban are buttonheads. By all means, they are buttonheads right now, right? And and, they're in, and Saban's pissed, and, and he, he makes some, like, snappy comment to Lane about this play, and he's like, if they're in man, or if they're in zone, I can't remember which one it was, because if they're in man or zone, it's a touchdown. And he's like, like, they're just barking back and forth, and, and, and Kiffin's, like, saying stuff to him over his shoulder because Saban's, like, you know, screaming at him. He's like, if they're in man or zone, it's a touchdown. I can't remember which one it was, like I said. They line up, Blake Sims snaps the ball, and Amari Cooper goes off the line, and Lane Kiffin turns his back to the play mm. and puts two hands up in the air for a, like just signaling a touchdown as the play starts. And I was like, oh, my God. And he hits him wide open for a touchdown. And I just remember it being like, oh, my God, that is the most boss-ass move I have <laughs> ever seen on a football field of just being so blatantly disrespectful to your head coach, to the, the other team. To like to to call that up and, and have Lane Kiffin be that with have so much gusto and, and being like, you know what? Yeah, if this happens, this is exactly what's gonna happen. And it definitely did. And Amari went for a touchdown two hundred and like sixty yards receiving that day. And my God, it was hilarious. God, it was hilarious. Let the record think about, show. Think about what I'm telling you right now. He just turned his back to the field, put up two hands, and was like, boom. And it was oh, it was so cool. Let the record show. You said that was the greatest play in the history of Alabama football. I stand by it. Second and twenty six, not making the cut. It's my. I'm, I'm saying right now, it's my favorite. Like, listen, and Georgia fans don't want to hear this or, or believe me when I say it. I have so many close friends and great friends that are Georgia fans that, that just absolutely destroyed that game. And and then like the, the the same thing with the SC championship game. I hate that. I hate that for them. That's a great play for for like my fandom and my team and all kind of stuff. I hate what it also did to the other side of of, of like fans in that game. I don't feel that way about Auburn. About <laughs> I, just, I just don't. And so this play was awesome. It was just awesome. That was fun. 2014, yeah, was man. Fun. 2014 was uh, a year that if we could snap our fingers and just go relive it right now, I think all of us would. Um, I was. It was a year after 2013, too. I was I was finally – Chris was back. I was in Year shape. before 2015. I, I would, 
What was 2015? I don't know. I thought we were just naming random <laughs> years. <laughs> well, 2013 was a down year for Chris. So this was this was a fun one. But yeah, this this was a this was a fun one. This was a great 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 season for sure. Are we gonna do any more whole seasons? If we do, it's got to be 2007. I know we've already done Florida LSU yeah. that year, but the end of 2007 might be one that we have to go revisit. TBD yeah. on what we're gonna do for our next. It just day that we'll live more. in. If Epiphany. Epiphany. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, this was this was great. Let us know what we forgot, some moments that stand yeah. out for you as fans. If you are not already, go like, subscribe, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Make sure you're following us on all forms of social media at the SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara, at SDS, at SEC Football, all of those accounts. If you are lacking news and you're like, hey, I want to get some stuff that's not coronavirus related right now um we're your one-stop non-coronavirus shop am i right boys not wrong um who do we want to get uh let's you know what let's go back and get one of the notable extras let's get that check us out hey 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 football 2014 i hope everybody's out there staying safe wearing masks and everything like that this is mask luke y'all have a good one talk to you guys soon